The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in. Pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Mike, you know, I do these intros week to week, and usually there's suspense as I go through the intro. They're going to know right away who I'm talking about when I say he's from Racing Royalty, right? From Randleman, North Carolina. Made his Major League Stock Car debut at the age of 18, which is an interesting story. He won the very first race he entered, the 1979 Daytona Arca 200, in one of his father's old 1978 Dodge Magnum race cars. He would make his Winston Cup Series debut later that season, ran five races, had a ninth-place finish in his first series race, the 1979 Talladega 500. A staple in the sport as a driver through 2008. In his Cup career, 829 races over 30 years, racking up eight wins, 173 top tens, and eight pulls. He's a driver. He's a commentator. He's a musician. And now he's an author. His book called Swerve or Die, Life at the Speed, Life at My Speed, in the first family of NASCAR racing, 
already a national bestseller and is available where you buy books. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Kyle Petty. Kyle, say hi to Mike Wallace. <laughs> That's a mouthful. I'm speechless speechless after that introduction. Are you kidding me? I've got nothing else to say. Thank you for tuning in today, people. Thank you. Good night. Be sure to tip your bartenders and your waitresses. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> those those intros are exciting, man. I'd I'd like to be the person they're talking about on the other end. Listen, I just want you to I want you to send me that intro so I can put it on my on my alarm. So every morning that's what I wake up to. I wake up to that intro. Phenomenal. You'll, you'll have it later tonight, I guarantee you. <laughs> well, we have Kyle Petty on, which is just wonderful. Kyle, thanks for taking the time because we know you're man, you got a lot of stuff going on, that new book and commentating for NBC and all the other charity rides, all the things you do. Geez, I know. I just saw you on TV. And that was a late one, too. So you must have got home late because of the rain delay and whatnot, right? Yeah, but that's okay. So I, I come home. I come home, and I've got um, I got a lot of things going on. I got a four-year-old. I got a two-year-old. And I got a two-month-old. So I'm up all night anyhow, man. So I'm good. Good I'm Lord. going. There's never, a, there's never a late night for me. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Just before you come on, Jeff goes, how does he deal with those young kids? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to tell you. And, and, and it is – they are – they are, and Mike, you know this. I've always lived my life exactly backwards, where the only time I was on the same page with everybody else was when we were meeting somewhere in the middle and I was going one way and they were going the other way. <laughs> but it has been Overton and Cotton and, and Devant now and Morgan. I mean, it's been a blessing. I, I swear, it is, it is a, it keeps you going. It keeps you up. It keeps you motivated. It keeps you headed in the right direction. And they are just, man, it's, and, and Mike can appreciate this. You, when you're when you you worked in a family business, you did all your stuff. You just busting your butt to get ahead, man. You're just you're out there every day trying to make something happen and racing. That's the way it always was. You just got to make something happen for yourself, you know. And sometimes your your wife and the family suffers because you spend more time focused on trying to get ahead on the racetrack than you do at home. You know what I mean? And that's that's a bad thing to say, but that's just the facts of life in the sport. But um, now at this place in life, I got nothing but time, man. I got nothing but time for these kids, and it's a, it's just a different place. It's a different feeling. So you reinvented yourself at home. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, right. That's exactly right. And 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 that's that's a great way to put it. Honestly, that is a great way to put it because you just you have an opportunity to make up for mistakes and make up for things that you didn't do the first time. You know what I mean? I like and it. and I know I know we all and Mike can vouch for this one too. I there's there's. I ran 100, I ran 800 and some races, and I'd like to have 820 of them back um, because I do that again. I do that a different again, too. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, because there's just there's things you know that you would do different this time that you know you just need, need one more shot at it, you know. But so I got another shot at this, so that I'm taking it. Well, you got a lot of great things happening. I'm glad you're 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 getting a second shot at doing different things that you want. And but part of our show, and I we have no script, as I told you in the break there. But we're going to talk about. I want to talk about the very first race you ran. Okay, because <laughs> Jeff and I sit here and we talk about kids. They got to have a career by started by age eight. You got to be established by twelve, and win the championship by fourteen or fifteen. And back when you – give us your background on your your long career before you won at Daytona. <laughs> My long career before I won at Daytona is I swept floors and worked in a race shop. <laughs> um, 
and and that, honestly, that's it. You know, my I I knew I knew, and 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 Mike, you know, when you saw you saw your dad drive for the first time, you probably knew that's what I'm going to do, man. I'm 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 going to do that someday. And um, I knew. I mean, from the time I was a little boy, and I'd go to that race shop and see those petty blue cars with those numbers on the door. I knew that's what I wanted to do when I was old enough to watch them go around the racetrack. And this is when they just painted cars, primary colors. You had blue and red and white. You didn't have all these fancy paint jobs and stuff. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be out there driving those race cars. So when I was in the third grade, I started traveling with my dad uh, every summer, every summer. I'd load up in a truck with Dale and Wade and the crew guys and off we go, man. And I wouldn't come back until summer was over. And the thing was, is, my dad said one day, he said, listen, if you really like this, you got to, you need to learn how to work on cars. So he made me work in every part of that shop for one year. I was a fabricator. I was uh, worked in the engine room, grinding on heads, cleaning blocks, doing stuff. Uh, worked in the body shop. Worst job ever. <laughs> I, I, I looked, I looked like I had talcum powder and, and, and I had petty blue phlegm for about a year, uh, just coughing up guess That's before paint booths and masks, but you just worked everywhere. And, and then, um, then I got to be on my dad's pit crew. I was, I carried tires when I was 15 or 16 years old, uh, during pit stops. And I, I was on his crew for two or three years. And then one day he said, if you can get that old car ready over there, we'll take it and test somewhere. So I'm thinking, Ooh, I'm gonna be a race car driver. Yeah. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna let me go test somewhere. So me and Steve Mill was working there at the time. And we worked on that thing. And we got that thing ready. And I said, "Well, who are we gonna go test?" And my dad said, "We're gonna go to Daytona and test." <laughs> and I said, <laughs> "I said, are you kidding me? I ain't never even driven a race car." He said, "It don't make no difference. It ain't gonna be that hard." And we, we go down there. We go down there. And this true story. And, and so we go down there for the test and my dad says, well, come on, I'm going to show you how to, how to get around this place. So I said, okay. So we take the, um, take the car cover and he throws it in the, we throw it in the floorboard on the passenger side and I crawl in and he gets in. I think we're just going to go out and ride around with, he puts on his seat belt, puts on his helmet and we go out and you warm up. You know how we used to have to warm up, get the gears warmed up and all warmed up and, we ride around, ride around, ride around a couple of laps and he's talking. And then we come off too, man. He starts to get up to speed and we go up through the gears and then he's talking louder and he's about halfway driving with one hand and there's a big old bump over here. You don't want to run down here cause there's a bump. But if you run up here next to the wall, it's a lot better in case the tire blows, you don't hit as hard. And he's telling me all this stuff, you know, and, and we run 193 miles an hour and He's driving, strapped in, and I'm sitting on a car cover hanging onto a roll bar. And he's talk and he's talking the whole time. He's talking the whole time. And we come in, we come in, and I crawl out the window, and he crawls out, and he hands me his helmet. He says, Now it's your turn. And I said, All right, let's go. And that's all the instruction I got. And I went out and run 151 miles an hour, man. My first lap around the racetrack. And I thought, Holy crap. This is the greatest thing in the world. I, I didn't know any more about driving a race car or anything at all, man. Didn't know it. It took, it took three days for me to, to get up to speed and get where I needed to be, uh, where I felt comfortable. I'll say where I felt comfortable, um, going out even, even by myself, nobody else on the racetrack. There was nobody down there with us, but it was, it's a crazy way to start, start a career. It is a crazy way. 
and then you know that that was my first race my and my really i run a couple of dirt races after that and my next race was talladega um so i ran five five cup races that year and that arca race and a handful of dirt races and the next year I ran for rookie of the year in the cup series with six races of experience under my belt. And that was it. <laughs> I, I guess it. teaching all these new kids, they don't need to go to mill bridge or anywhere to run that quarter mile racetrack. Just go to Daytona, line that baby up and let's roll. <laughs> Just hop on the right yeah. side with the King and take a ride. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. You know, I, I, I thought, I think about it and, and it was just normal. You, you know what I mean? I mean, it was just, I thought that's the way it was supposed to be. You supposed to do it. You know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, I, I just, that's the way, that's what we did. Cause we had race cars. So that's what we did, you know? And, and it seemed normal to me. I, I will say this every year, every year I got older, I realized it wasn't normal. It was extremely, <laughs> it was extremely abnormal. That was the wrong way to, nobody does things like that. I was the only I was the only one crazy enough. Maybe that's it to do it. Yeah, then you get strapped in the car, not strapped in the car. So not strapped in. But You're holding on to a roll. Hold down. on to a roll bar. But then you come back and run the race, your very first race, and you win. Yeah. I mean, that, that's yeah. that's that, that's tough enough by itself, you know? Yeah. Yep. That, yeah. That was crazy. I, so I have to tell you, and this is no joke, man. This is true, too. So I start, I qualified second, third, fourth, I don't know. Uh, Billy Hagen, that owned Terry Labonte's car. Uh, Ron Hutchison. Uh, Dick Hutchison's son, our brother, uh, was there. Uh, Bob Brevac, Brevac. Brevac. Um, yeah. Let's see, a guy named Phil Finney, and Phil Finney should have won the race, hands down. To this day, every time I, I, I get an opportunity to talk about this race, I, I give Phil Finney. He he was he was your race winner. He was just the best car, the best guy, uh, just a nice man, nice man, and. Um, that's when we used to run glass windshields. Um, and, and I don't, I don't even know if y'all remember that, but we used to run glass windshields and, um, he hit a seagull in the middle of backstretch and, uh, the, the windshield caved in. And listen, that was common. That was incredibly common in practice to hit seagulls and stuff. Uh, yeah, you had one that always had a death wish that would come back and just want to fly into a car for some reason, but so that was Eagle said they, he wasn't going to fly North any longer. He was done. He's no, done. That was done. Yeah. I'm, I'm landing on Lake Lloyd. I want to hear, I want, I'm coming to the races, baby. So, um, but he, he, you know, he, he ended up and it came down to the last lap. Um, and that it, it came down to the last lap and I, and I beat, I, I guess beat him, beat him back and ended up winning the thing. And listen, uh, I was 18, had won at Daytona, and I wanted to believe I was the greatest race car driver in the world, but I knew I didn't even know how to get out of the, out of the garage area. In all honesty, in my heart, I knew I didn't know anything about it. I was just in the right place at the right time. Hey, I'd rather be lucky than good any day, they say. You Absolutely. Know? Yes. I remember yep. I was telling Richard before we started the show, I said, I, I I says, I forget what year it was. I says, I remember our family, the Wallace family, being in this big old Lincoln town car, driving from St. Louis, Missouri, down to to go to the Daytona 500. And that race you won was on MRN or on the end of MRN because we're hearing Kyle Petty wins his first race. And I thought, how cool is that, man? Guy's never drove before and he won his first race. And so, yeah. Yeah. That, that, listen, it, I, I will say this, and, and I've said this before. It was... It's the best thing and the worst thing. Um, and, and, I, and I say that in all honesty because, you know, by the time, you're, when, when, did, when, did, 
when did Rusty start running Cup stuff? Do you well, know? Uh, yeah. 19, he was a 1984, right? 84. Rookie 84. Of the year. So, so yeah. 82, 83, ran some races, I believe. So check this out. So by the time I got to 84, by the time I got to 84, uh, 30, 30, 60, I had a total, total, Mike, of 80 races under my belt. That's all I'd ever driven in my life. Okay. 80 races. You know what I mean? All of them and, in the biggest platform in the world, right? <laughs> yeah, all, that's right. That's right. Every, every one of them a cup race. Every one of them a Daytona, a Talladega, a Charlotte, Atlanta. I, I ran five races. I ran my first five cup races. I didn't run anything on a mile and a half. I've never been to a short track. You know what I mean? And, and, the, and the thing was, it, I was getting experience on a big track, but I didn't have any racing experience. You know, like Rusty had come off short tracks. Mark Martin came off short tracks. They had racing experience. They knew how to race. I didn't know how to race. You know what I mean? I just know how to get in a car and go out there and run real fast. You know, that, that was kind of it. So it was, that's the bad part. That's the negative side of it. You know, the plus side was, hell, I was getting to drive a cup car against David Pearson and Richard Petty and Bobby Allison and then Dale Earnhardt Sr. and guys like that. That was the cool part. Uh, but the bad part was I wasn't, my learning curve took a lot longer to get to a point where I felt like I could be competitive or win races. 18 years old. NASCAR 101. I mean, it's basic stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> hey, why don't we take a break and we'll come right back and we'll pick up on learning awesome. how to race. Awesome. That's great. Awesome stories with Kyle Petty. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're just getting revved up with Kyle Petty. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Kyle, you know, we're going to work hard to try to condense your life into an hour, and I don't know how we're even going to get remote to that. So we'll have to do some continuation shows. But after you won that race at Daytona, and you ran some more races later that year. What was the next steps for Kyle Petty? And let me back up just a second. When you were Kyle Petty and Richard Petty, the king is your dad. Did you guys, did you personally realize your dad was famous? Did you know that? You know what, Mike? I, I, I didn't realize it, honestly, until I was in the second grade, I think. Um, second or third grade. Um, and, I, and we went to a racetrack and I took a kid with me that was, and in, in, in school with me and he was just in awe you know what i mean i mean he we were in greenville south carolina greenville Pickens. it was a dirt track then not asphalt like it is now and um he got you know pearson was there and bobby isaac and allison and all those guys and i'm like yeah these are just guys that hang out with my dad and he's like these are car drivers man <laughs> and and then you then you begin to realize, you know, that everybody's dad doesn't have a race car in their backyard. You know, everybody's dad doesn't do this. So I was probably then. And then really, honestly, um, you really begin to notice it by the time early 70s when R.J. Reynolds came into the sport. and The sport really began to take off and change. And I was 12 or 13. Then you realize, hey, this, this guy that punishes me when I do bad and spanks my butt with a belt, he's uh, – He's kind of something special when it comes to race cars, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that is probably I was probably my early teens. Yeah. So, what was uh, I don't know. I don't know why I'm asking this. Was it was the king tough on you? Were you were did you get away yeah. with stuff at school or did he keep a pretty straight line around the house? I know that too. That's the way it works with your moms. But um 
you know, I, I think, I, I, you know, he's pretty tough, you know, and, and he, he, he came from a, a tough place. I, I, I'll never forget, he went to Dover and won Dover uh, one year by six laps, by six laps. <laughs> um, and when, when they came back and they unloaded at the shop and we were unloading that car, my granddaddy come in, said, said, I watched that room. Hey, why'd you let them off with just six? And I'm like, man, that's tough, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? You win the race and you're being criticized because you didn't win by enough laps. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and that's kind of the way it was. It was, it was, a, it was a tough love, you know, you knew they were proud of you and you knew it was there. Um, but yeah, you had to do the right thing, man. I would, I'd, I'd put something on a car. I put a panel on a car one time and I was so proud of myself, man. I welded this thing and put it on there and, he said, we don't do work like that at Petty Enterprises. And I said, work like what? And he said, work that looks like that. We don't cross-break metal. We we put we roll a bead around it to make it strong. And I said, well, it's behind a bumper. Nobody's going to see it. He said, you know what? But I'm going to drive this car, and I'm going to know it's there, and it's not going to be on this car. I'm like, I got you, bud. I'll take that <laughs> thing off. You know what I mean? But it was it was that kind of stuff. You learned from it as as – you, you were you were you were being taught at the same time you were you were being told things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I was outside cutting grass, and now you think about you. What do you talk to Kyle Petty about? It's like you know, I know Kyle, but I don't know Kyle type <laughs> thing. You know, and it's like, but the the one thing I've always noticed about him in, in last X number of years, anytime you talk about Richard Petty, he says the king. Right, the king. Yeah. How long? When did you start calling him the king? Did you ever call him dad, or was he always the king? Yep. Yeah, so I, I I called him Daddy, okay, D A D D Y, Daddy, P Diddy, P Diddy. That's what I called him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's what I always called him. And then, like I said, when I was in the third grade and started going to um, and started going to the to, with the guys to the racetrack with with Dale and Wade and Richie and Les Bars and Zoomer and all those guys, they called they just referred to him as the King because that's what everybody called him. That's what. You know, that, that's what they call – that's what his freaking competitors call him that. You know what I mean? So it's like to be one of the guys, I called him the king. You know what I mean? When I was talking to, to Dale or I was talking to the people that I was working around, even at that age, I just referred to him as the king. Um, and, and it just stuck all those years, man. Even when I raced against him, I, I think now that I'm older, I, I refer to him as dad. Uh, okay. I'm back to calling him dad when I'm around him a, a lot more, and I, I call it that. But – Man, when I was little, you know, it's, you just want to fit in. You're, you're 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever you are, and you're trying to fit in with a bunch of 20-year-olds because that's, that's the people that work on race cars, and that's who your friends are because you've got more in common with the guy that works on a race car than you do with the kid that sits next to you in sixth-grade geometry. You know what I mean? So You had sixth-grade sixth grade geometry? You went to geometry, really? Yeah, well, I thought it was going to help me in racing, um, and, and I and I never did figure out a corner. I never did. <laughs> I didn't fail geometry until eighth grade. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've yet to figure out a use for it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. So as you're uh, as you're racing for Petty Enterprises in the early years, where's the next progression after? Uh, you, you run for the family business for when did yeah. you stop racing for petty enterprises? So here's what happened. I ran for, for petty enterprises and, um, ran there. Golly, 80, 79, 80, 81, 82, um, 80, 83, maybe 83. So, yeah. 83. And, um, honestly, my dad's career had kind of, 
one one Daytona, you know, in '81. I think that was his last Daytona. Anyhow, um, we, you know, he just was not as competitive. The fall off and the sport was changing. You know, Roush was coming in. You had so many things, and the sport was beginning to change a little bit. And we had fallen off, and we got to a place where we sat down one day, and my dad said, "One of us has got to leave." Um, and he said, I don't believe you can get a job. You know what I mean? You don't have the experience <laughs> to get a job, but I think I can, you know, you know what I mean? And he left and went to drive for Mike Curb, um, oh, in wow. 84. I didn't realize that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He, he left Petty Enterprise and went to drive for Mike Curb in 84. And I ran Petty Enterprises by myself. I ran out of that shop and ran the Ford. I switched to Ford from Pontiac <laughs> to Ford. And I had to deal with 7-Eleven and, 7-Eleven had a huge motorsports program with Emerson Fittipaldi and the IndyCar racing. Uh, golly, Myers, whatever the Myers kid was that was a drag racer. They had sports cars. They had a huge deal. Billy Myers. Um, and we, Billy Myers, yep. And, and we, ran, we, ran, um, we ran that year, and Mike Beam was in charge of everything. He did a great job, man. And, and we ran that year, and we did okay. You know, we didn't, we didn't do great. They were switching from – Ford was switch, switching from the Cleveland to the Windsor – blocks and i mean it was just a part shortage and there was just a lot of issues so at the end of the year i, I was close to a place where i couldn't do anything and the wood brothers was looking for they were looking for a driver and i had a sponsor and ford wanted ford loves the wood brothers as we know still to this day this day you know ford is heavily involved with with eddie and lynn and those guys mm -hmm. and eddie and them called and they said hey let's put something together you know, the Ford guys, so Edsel Ford and those guys put us together, and we took two teams. We took Petty Enterprises, basically at that time, and what was the Wood Brothers, um, the two biggest rivals in the sport forever and ever, and combined them, and I, I went to drive for the Wood Brothers for, for a few years, and that's where I was in 85, 86, uh, probably up until 80, 88. I drove there through 88, so... Uh, it was financial. I left. We left for financial reasons. We just could not keep, just about couldn't keep our doors open again. My uncle ran a car out of there and kept the business going uh, right at, while when I left, but it, we just couldn't keep the business going. So, Kyle, back in that day when you had that 7-Eleven sponsorship, and everybody, you know, that's an ongoing deal today. you got to find appropriate money. How, how did a person find sponsorship back then? I mean, that the 80s don't sound like that long ago, except it was 30 years ago or, you know, over 30 years yeah. ago. So did somebody walk up to you, or did you actually make a presentation, or did you have a buddy that was working somewhere? Man. I'm just curious how that happened back then. You Listen, listen, you begged, borrowed, and stole Okay. Um, I, I'm not lying, dude. I mean, it's, it's just like, in a lot of ways, um, that part, it, it's, it's, it's different. But you were the one that was out selling yourself. You were the one out trying to do it. Now, listen, I was, I was, I, I remember in, in 79, 80, I was 79. I was 19 years old. And we heard that Coors was interested. I flew to Golden, Colorado and got a meeting with the marketing guy at 19 years old and tried to get Coors to sponsor Richard Petty. Uh, they came in later with Bill Elliott, but, um, you know, you, you just, you would hear a rumor that somebody was interested and you would go through every channel you could just to get a meeting with a marketing department. Um, and, and listen, sponsorship at that time, 250,000, 300,000 a year, 400,000, you know, at most, at most, it wasn't, it, it wasn't huge, but it was a huge amount of money then, you know, to those companies. It's not like it is today, but man, you, you just, you did everything you could to find sponsors. I, we, we got hooked up with 7-Eleven, honestly, 
through Ralph Seagraves and the R.J. Reynolds people because they sold Winston. Um, and now. we met, yeah. yeah, met him at the racetrack and got hooked up that way. So that's that's where that came along. But I, I can't tell you how many times you would hear that somebody had money or somebody was willing to spend money. And you'd call them up, and and the the secretary would say, "Yeah, you're the sixth race team that's called." Yeah. You know what I mean? Because because you just you just did it, and it wasn't it wasn't a marketing firm calling. It was Daryl Waltrip calling. It was Robert Yates calling. It was Junior Johnson calling. It was the people who were vested in the company calling. They didn't have somebody out there doing it for them. They were doing it themselves. Yeah, it's, uh, when I first got involved in the sport, I used I had a acquired a sponsor or two along the way and i remember the uh, ceo always going man the day we announce we're sponsoring you there's 10 other teams that want us to sponsor them yes <laughs> you know, I, that's where this sport's always been you bring the money and somebody tries to steal it you know what <laughs> i mean that 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 and, and honestly that's the bad part that's the that's the the dark side of this sport you know what i mean um is, is that you would bring in a sponsor and the next thing you know somebody would be over smoozing your sponsor tell them they could run better than you run you know what i mean and and you that 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 was always a tough part, uh, especially through through this, through the eighties and up into the early nineties. We're talking about the eighties, as uh, the superstar you become as driving a race car. If I'm right about that era, you ventured. I, mean, I wouldn't say you ventured off, but you got a lot of your buddies in the race world to cut a song or a record, <laughs> World Series of Country Music. <laughs> How oh did gosh, that come man. about? Kyle, the record is sitting right, right here. here. We got, yes. We have listen, a console in front of we us. We have an unopened copy right here in front of us. Hey, listen, that's solid gold, dude. That's solid gold. I'm just telling you. Uh -huh. So here, here, there, so here's the story. So there was a guy that came through and, and got up with Jeff Bodine. Jeff Bodine is an instigator on this. I'm going to throw him in the river. Um, this guy's they had done one um, a thousand years back in the early 70s with my dad and Pearson and Baker and Kale and all those guys. So they decided they would revive it. And this guy, I, to this, his, he was referred to as the meat man. Okay. The meat man <laughs> signed up all these drivers. They brought in some people, they wrote some songs, and then we all did songs like um, Crazy Racing Man. And I mean, they're, they're, some of the songs have some great titles, but they were, they were some, uh, so we did it and we were supposed to promote the album. And next thing I know, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and they said, you want to sing this song? I'm like, yeah, I'll sing it. So I sung it on this TV show. I thought it was a local TV show. I didn't know anything about it. We didn't have cable out where I lived. We only had two channels, man. And uh, three, on, three on a good clear day, you could get the third one, which was Winston-Salem. I could pick it up. <laughs> and the next thing I know, man, we the album was selling, and I had a record deal with another company, and I was opening... Um, traveling around and singing songs and playing guitar and driving a race car too. So it got a little, got a little hectic there, probably 83, 84, 85 before I settled in with the Wood Brothers. Yeah. So was the, uh, how, how much fun, was it fun singing, going around singing or just being oh, an yeah, artist man. for a while? Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. It, it was, uh, it, it was because it's like, uh, I used to tell people, you know, Earnhardt, he'd crawl up in a tree at four o'clock in the morning and deer hunt. That was, that's how he relaxed. You know what I mean? I mean, he enjoyed it. Um, I just like playing guitar and, and doing it, you know, in front of people that, that made it even better. Uh, one night, one night we were running Richmond and, um, one Sunday we were running Richmond on uh, Saturday night, Childress and chocolate and Danny Myers and our, our, uh, Danny Lawrence and Will Lynn and all of us jumped on Childress's plane. And he flew me down to, um, 
to Raleigh and I opened for Hank Jr. No uh, way. Yeah. <laughs> 35,000 people, man. 35,000 people smokes. just screaming. And H- Hank said, just go out. Here's what Hank said. He said, go out, turn it up wide, as loud as it'll go. Don't talk. These people don't want to hear you talk. They just want to, they come to see me. They, they, don't, they don't want to hear you talk. And he said, and the last song you need to play is Eric Clapton's Cocaine. And he said, and just wave to him and walk off. That's all you got to do. And that's exactly what I did, exactly what he told me to do, man. And that, that was so much fun, man. But Chocolate and all those guys went with me. And it, it was just, it was fun. But then you did stuff. And then one day I woke up and I'm like, man, this is. I'm burning the candle at both ends. This is going this going to get the best of me. And I always wanted to be a race car driver, not the other. You know, the the race car was the passion. So, um, I put the guitar away for a while and went back to driving a race car. There you go. Well, didn't Felix Sabatis tell you though, "Hey, which one do you want to do? Do you want to be a race car driver? Or you want to play guitar?" And your response was, "Well, both." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Felix, Felix also taught me to, to, to cut a jaw or cut my hair and, 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 and quit having an opinion on everything, <laughs> but that didn't work either. Let's you know take a I mean? break and come but, back and talk about those opinions. Take a time out with Kyle Petty. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR <laughs> Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Talking to Kyle Petty about being a rock star or a country star. He's just a star. <laughs> so, so Kyle, t- because I'm fascinated by music, and I'll tell you the quick story, and then you tell me how you got to do So... Next number of years ago, I'm in the motorhome lot at the Kansas Speedway. My, you know, we all had little motorhomes that were backed in, and here comes the Coors bus backing in, and gets out of it is Brooks and Dunn. Oh, no kidding. This is about 10.30 at night. They set out two chairs, yeah. some beer, and they got like a songwriter guy with them. And they sit down, and, they're th- and I go over and introduce myself, and they were so nice and polite. Oh, yeah. And we're, we're doing this song. I said, what's the name of the song? And they go, well, we think it's going to be called Simple Man. And they they go through the whole deal and i'm going well how did you ever you know what made you do this and how did you learn these uh our wives you know they they tell us we're they think we're a prima donna or whatever we think we're prima donnas and we say we're just simple men three weeks later man that song is on the radio i'm listening to it it's like those guys were just sitting there with a guitar i says a guitar has got to be the coolest item or thing you can have, you can just sit and play and entertain people. Well, some people can. Yeah. So, so Kyle Petty, how how did you even come to picking up a guitar? How did how All did right, you learn? So did you self teach yourself along the way, or somebody teach you? So a little of both. Okay. A little of both. So let me tell you what happened. So um, early seventies. We gotta go back to the early seventies. Everything happened in the late sixties, early seventies. The great Marty Robbins, who was a country singer, um, drove a race car. Mm-hmm. Um, and he run at Talladega, Daytona. He'd run some big race tracks, and he was one of the first people. There was another guy, a preacher named Bill Frazier, who came to the race tracks, and and we had chapel back then. And he had a guitar, and he would play it. Those two guys were the first two guys that I ever saw play a guitar. I'd seen it on TV, but I'd never seen I'd never seen it in person. Never seen a guy just pick it up and start picking on it. You know what I mean? And and when I was 12 years old. I was like, I'm, I'm going to learn to play that thing. That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You know, it's just, it just, the sounds they could make with it and what they could do. And I took lessons from a guy in, in our hometown and he taught me 
all the major chords and all the minor chords. And then after about three months, he said, listen, that's all I can teach you. He said, if you really want to learn to play, you'll take this, this thing home and lock yourself in your room and you'll just keep playing and get better and better. And that's what I did. So you kind of, he gave me direction. Then I learned, but I, I, I wanted to be like Marty Robbins. I wanted to be like Bill Frazier. I wanted to be like those guys who could just sit down in a, in a, in a, in a chair beside a swimming pool and just play a tune or two. Uh, and that's all, that's as far as I ever wanted to go, but that's, that's kind of how I learned. I ended up with a guitar. Well, that's outstanding. I love guitars, and I'm going to someday learn how to play it, Jeff. I'm a guitar owner. I don't really know how to play it. But yeah. I've, I've got a couple of them, actually. i got about a dozen of these, uh, you know, what we call autograph guitars. You buy them at yeah. charity auctions or sure. whatever, and it's like, well, I could take one of those. I don't know if I should or not, but, oh, yeah, what, whatever. So, uh, yeah. from there, we're going to kind of go back to the race world. You were driving for the Wood Brothers, and... Bring me. I'm gonna let you just bring me up to speed because I don't. I don't know where it's at. Tell me how long you drove for them and what the next step so, was after the Wood Brothers. So here. So this ties two things. This this will tie this. So um, I was driving for the Wood Brothers, and I, listen. And I told them when I went there. And and the, remember, this is a time when teams weren't Hendrick Motorsports and JGR and all that stuff. The Wood Brothers had. They had run a limited schedule. They hadn't even run the full schedule when I went up there. Uh, when I went up there, we started running the full schedule full time, but so they only had about 12 or 14 employees, maybe 12. And, and out of those 12, four or five of them came in after work. They weren't full-time guys. It was just Eddie, Lynn, Leonard, uh, Kim worked there in the office, uh, Butch Markle, Butch, Butch Mitchell. Everybody was kin to each other. Everybody up there was a cousin or a brother or a relative in some way, shape, or form that touched that race car all those years. And I'd been up there probably six months, seven months, and we were out to lunch. We were over at Glenn and Bernice's eating, and I told him, I said, listen, I said, I've never driven for anybody else in my family. And, and I said, and I know looking around this shop and looking around here that when somebody gets fired, it's going to be me because my last name ain't Wood and I'm not connected to you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I said, and I'm good with that. I'm okay because I've been around this sport long enough to know people get fired. You know what I mean? I said, but I want to stay friends no matter what because we've been friends for a long, long time. So you just give me a heads up when, when this thing runs its course. And about halfway through 88, Eddie said, I think we're going to make a change. And I said, I'm good with that, man. You know what I mean? We had, we had leveled off. We'd run eighth or ninth in the points, tenth in the points. But we'd, we'd kind of we'd won a couple of races, but we'd kind of leveled off. We weren't. We weren't helping each other. Um, and I, I, I wasn't, they went back to Neil Bonnet. Neil Bonnet was a better race car driver than I was at that time. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. So I didn't have a job. Uh, called Phil, or called Rick to see if he had anything. And because he had a, he had a test team that I'd heard. This is back to how do you find sponsors and how do you get something going uh, and how crazy drivers are. So, um, he said no, that he didn't have anything, and he wasn't going to turn that test team into a race team, but that he'd keep his ear open. And I said, man, I appreciate it. And I talked to a couple other guys, but I, I really – I didn't have anything, man. I didn't have anything. And then Rick called me back, and he said, hey, I'm going to sell that test team to a guy named Felix Sabatis and a guy named Ted Condor. Uh, would you be interested in talking to him? And I said, yeah, shoot you up, man. And there was a message at the, at, at the hotel I was staying at. I was in Chicago. And because I had talked to him a couple of days before that and told him if anything come up, call me. This is where I was going to be. And um, so he he said, well, can you can you meet him tonight? And I said, yes, I can. 
Yes, I can. <laughs> and I was, in, I was in Chicago for a trade show. And I flew home, got off the plane. A guy met me at the airport that I didn't know. O'Brien is his name. O'Brien, I know O'Brien. Hold- yeah, Felix's yeah, guy. O'Brien, <laughs> yeah, Felix's guy. O'Brien was holding a sign that said, Mr. Petty. And I said, I'm your man. He put me in. We got in a, a Chevy Tahoe. We drove around the airport to the FBO. He put a code in a, in, a, in a gate. We went through the gate. He took me to a hangar. He put a code in the door at the hangar. He opened the door. Hangar was pitch black, except for there was a light on in the office. He walked me to the office, and he set me down, and he said, uh, they'll be here to meet you within the next 20 or 30 minutes. And then he left. <laughs> and that was it. And I flew. So here's a guy. Here's a guy on a hope and a prayer of talking to somebody who may own a race team but didn't at the time and who may get it. So I may get a job or I may not. I flew from Chicago, got in a car with somebody I didn't know, went around an airport I've never been to except to the, to the big hangar, went into a hangar that was pitch dark and sat in an office all by myself. And I thought to myself, somebody is going to take me out right here. This is my, this is my last day on earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and this is the wasn't long. Um, Felix and Teddy walked in and we started talking, man. And we talked and then we, it, it took a month, maybe a little bit more before Felix made up his mind on what he was going to do. And Tad made up, they had a, Xfinity team, a Bush team at the time called the Highline Racing with Bobby Hillen. They were partners with him, and they wanted to go cup racing, and they bought that cup team, and we ran 89. We ran a few races, um, and then we started running full-time in 90, and I drove for him until 97, 97, I think. Um, so I drove for him for the next six or seven years, and if Adam hadn't come along, I don't believe I'd ever left Felix, really? uh, honestly. Uh, I, I think I would have probably just ended my career there because I love that man. He is he is a special person to me. Well, we had him on the show what, two months ago, and he talked very highly of you. And the common, uh, a cool common thing, I don't know if you even know this, the second Bush Series team I ever drove for was Highline Racing. No way, dude. Yes, no sir. way. Yep. Did I came down and I drove for Mark Reno for a race. And then I went to Atlanta and sat on the row, front row of an ARCA race, and Ted Condor walked up to me and says, hey, we, we've got an opportunity. And at the same time, you know, the old sponsorship deal, I've yeah. got this uh, juice company that's involved. And, uh, yeah, I went over there. And the building's below uh, Butch Stevens's place over on Highway 29. Yep, yep. that's exactly right, man. That's yeah. it. God almighty, man, that's a small world. So look that's, at what we got I'm- in common. The whole yeah, six degrees of separation were always those about. common you threads in NASCAR. Yeah, you know? but that, that that and that's a perfect example. I tell people all the time that we like to believe that that NASCAR and that, that racing is such a big business and such a big industry, but it's just it's all done within a very small group of people. So everybody touches everybody at some point in time. Or everybody follows everybody at some point in time. It is it is a small world, man. It, it is it's more like three degrees more that separation than six. Yeah, you know why I say that six degrees, Kyle. I went to Iraq and Afghanistan back in 03, and on the trip was the late great Robin Williams. So I spent a week with Robin Williams, and at that time General Myers, he was the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff, and they spent, I guarantee, an hour one night explaining quote six degrees of separation to me, which I'd never heard of in my life. And yeah. the more I find out about it, it's 
we're all separated by only six degrees, they say. We know yep. somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody, and it's like, damn it, it proves out to be right, the right? best I can tell. <laughs> yeah, it, and more times than not, it does prove out to be right. You're all right. right, so tell me after the dark night in the uh, Charlotte airport in a hangar, you think the mafia is coming for the last hit on you, <laughs> and a month later, how, how does, uh, does Felix pick up the phone and call you? Does Ted Condor pick nope. up the phone and call you? Do you call them and wear them out? What happened? <laughs> We're, we're up at Dover. I'm driving for the Wood Brothers, and they're up there with, with Bobby. And we just met at the at uh, at the Holiday Inn over there. And we met in a room. You know, and and this is what this is what we're going to do. We're going to run 10 or 15 races next year. Are you good with that? I said, listen, I'm good. And he said, and what what are we going to do about pay? And I said, you figure that out, dude. That's that's on you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got a spot. I, I can bring Peak as a as a partial sponsor. We can put some stuff together. He had a couple of things, and I said, "That's that's on you. I work for you now. If, that, if that's the way it's going to be." And we shook hands. And you know, I drove I drove for Felix, uh, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, I drove Felix almost nine years, and um, every every I never had a never had a contract. Never had. We would, he would say, this is what we're going to do. And I would say, I'm good. And we'd shake hands and we'd, we'd go do it. And we always lived up to what we said. And it, it always fascinates me that I drove my entire career and, and never had a contract with anybody. I just had a handshake. You, you know what I mean? And, and I'm kind of proud of that. And in a strange way, you're kind of proud of that because we all parted friends. Every time we would part, no matter who we left, um, it was just it was business but we parted friends and we we've continued to be friends all these years later yeah well that's really cool because that's that's what do you call that that's ethics right i mean yes yeah. ethically correct well, you agree with what you're saying you know their relationship with his relationship with the wood brothers goes way back felix was an old school businessman kind of guy though you know what i mean yeah. so yep. so that makes perfect sense to me yeah 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 it, it was man well, you guys did cool. You had, I also remember during, during your Felix era there, you guys always had a little conversation of something going on or incentive or wasn't there a Rolls Royce involved yes. in something one time or another? <laughs> yeah. Felix bought a Rolls and set up a one Daytona. He'd, he'd give me a Rolls and I didn't win Daytona, but I went to Rockingham, one Rockingham, so he gave me the Rolls anyhow. Oh, wow. He, listen, he, he always had some. We got in an argument with NASCAR at, at Charlotte um, because they black flagged me. Rightfully so, rightfully so. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue that point. But Felix thought that Earnhardt had done the same thing. So when we showed up at Dover the next week, we had a black car just like Earnhardt's. <laughs> and Felix, because Felix said, no, they never black flag a black car. You know what I mean? So he was always, man, he was just, he was a promoter. He was, he played the game, man. He, he got the sponsor, you know, he got the sponsor a lot more than what went on on the racetrack. Um, and he was that P.T. Barnum guy. You know, he was that guy that could that, – and, 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 and he was, again, it's ethics. He was straight up about what he did. He, I mean, he wouldn't, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't do something that he didn't believe in. He wouldn't participate in something that he didn't believe in. And he's just – he's that kind of guy. But, we, listen, we always had some gimmick, always had something going. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was a fun place. It was a fun place to go. And it was a fun place to be to be his friend. It was a fun time to be his friend. Yeah, that's outstanding. You guys sure made it fun for all of us, like myself, that was in the business, watching what was going on. The fans loved the excitement of it. What was and you ran good. You won races. I mean, uh, 
what's better than that, right? Winning yeah. is that's, everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, listen, Mike, you know, as bad as things get, if you, when, when you're standing there with that trophy, it's the greatest, greatest moment in the world, man. It's, it, it truly is. Oh. And, and that, that solves all ills, man. No matter what's going on, that, that kind of cures everything for a while. Without a doubt. Well, we're going to come back with one final segment. How we're going to get all the rest of your life in in 15 minutes, I don't I don't think we will. But we'll figure it we'll, out. We'll start something. We're talking to Kyle Petty, and you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're taking the white flag. One more segment with Kyle Petty. Once again, here's Mike. Well, Kyle, we were talking about the Felix Sabatis days and all that. We got 15 minutes left to talk about it. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to ask you to take us from Felix Sabatis to today. Uh, that's yeah. the easiest way. I mean, soon as the Felix situation <laughs> took place, left there. What went on from that yeah. point? So, so honestly, I, I, I left Felix, um, and I hadn't. I, it had been on my mind, on my heart for a while, um, and 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 because my my granddad, when my dad started, we had Petty Enterprises. So my my granddad gave my dad a place to race. My dad gave me a place to race, and all of a sudden, I was getting to a place where it was going to be time for Adam to race, but I didn't have a place for him to race. Um, and, and that was important to me. It was important to me to give him a place to start his career. So I left Felix and started PE2. Uh, man, I, I beat the bushes and golly, ended up with a, with a deal with Hot Wheels and brought Hot Wheels to the sport. Uh, and, and, and 98 was able to, to bring those guys along and, and put a deal together. Um, and it was, it, it was some place that I knew I could turn that into something and, and Adam would have a place to start his career. However, uh, he had started running some ASAs and, and it was sad to leave Felix. I, I mean, let me say that right off the bat, because I, I just felt like we still had things we could do and we could, we could still run good. Uh, we had fallen off a little bit, but I, I felt like we could still run, but my focus was beginning to change a little bit. And, um, to try to bring Adam along because he was just everything he had got in, he was doing pretty good in. And so he won, um, he won an ASA race and then we, we run him in and some other stuff, run him in an ARCA race, man. You raced with him in the ARCA race. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. That was a great yeah. race. Great yeah, it race. Was, it, it was, you know, and he, and, and, and he wrapped in practice and we beat that thing out and put it back together. And, you know, and that, that my two greatest moments in, in my racing career, is standing in victory lane with my dad in 1979 because I helped build that car, uh, and I felt like it was such such a such a moment for me to to help him build a car that he he achieved his dream in, and then to stand in victory lane with Adam and know that that was my team and that was the car that we built and that was a car we put back together in the garage area. So he he won that race, and you know, and we started running the, the Xfinity stuff, put that back together. I took the cup. I took my cup team back to Little Cross and combined because everybody was multi-car teams and, and you couldn't survive with a single car team. My dad had a single car team. I had a single car team. So we combined back and um, became Petty Enterprises again and uh, turned PE2, which was my team, and turned into to an Xfinity team. And uh, Adam got to run some races and, uh, and, and 98 and then 99 uh, had run the full season. So and had a pretty good season. And, and we were looking to move to run 2000, um, to run the 2000 season. And, um, 
And then in 2001, we were switching to Dodge. We were on the Dodge program, already building cars with Ray Everham and all that, that stuff. And then uh, Adam's accident uh, happened in May of 2000. And that, that just totally changed everything. It, it changed, changed the world. Um, and, and it just, I, I, I can't even, I, I just finished my book and I'll talk about it in a minute, but you know, that's the hardest thing was setting down and, and writing that down for, for swerve or die for the book, because I, I realized that 20 years had passed and I'd really never dealt with it, but the, it changed, it changed your life as a father. It changed your life as a person. It changed the trajectory of, of where my career would go of where Adam's career would go, of what Petty Enterprises would grow up to be someday, 10 or 15 years, it changed our whole world. Uh, it changed everything about our world because Adam was our future. And I'd planned on quitting driving by, at that time, I was gonna, at, at the end of, of, of that 2001 uh, season, I was probably gonna retire um, because I wanted to run a year with Adam and then get out of his way. And he was gonna be the guy. He was gonna be the leader of our team. He was gonna be the guy. Uh, but when his accident happened, then I had to stay seven or eight more years just to keep the company alive, uh, to keep people employed, to keep the business going. And I, don't get me wrong, man, I loved being in that race car because being in that race car was the only place that I felt peace. You know, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I was close to Adam in that race car, I'd run his number, his name on, on top of the car. Uh, when I got in his Xfinity car and finished out that season, I, I drove in his seat with his steering wheel, with his stuff and wore his helmet and did his stuff just to be, just to be close to him. Um, I never changed. We never changed anything in that car. Um, and, but it was, you know, it, it just changed your whole world changed and you, you have to start all over again, man. And um, so, you know, we, we, we kind of struggled at Petty Enterprises and the, the last seven or eight years of my career are not really a career and, and not really Kyle Petty as a driver. It's just Kyle Petty as, showing up and being there and and being part of it because it's where i found peace i found peace in that garage area yeah. with people that knew him and, and that part of it and uh so i retired from that uh, or, or left that and started running my mouth on tv but I, which i'd always run my mouth uh and and, and you know in, in 04 we started a camp i got to throw the camp in and adam's memory uh and it's just such an amazing place we've seen a hundred thousand kids and touched a hundred thousand families in some way, shape, or form through through Victory Junction. And Victory Junction would not be here if it hadn't have been for that tragic day uh, in 2000. So uh, out of out of out of that tragedy and out of out of that darkness comes a light. There 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 is a light and there is hope and there is something at the at the end of that. So um, you know now I'm, I'm I'm Morgan and I met and and I'm married. I have Overton and Cotton and and Devant and an amazing marriage, an amazing wife. And, you know, my life is good. My life is good. It's it, there's things, you know, sometimes you look at life, Mike, you know, and you say, man, I'd go back and I'd change that. Or, you know, and we talked about before, there's things you, you might like to think about going back and doing over, but I really wouldn't change a lot because it, it, it makes you who you are. It makes you the person you are today. And it makes you, if you're like where you're at, it, it's a good place to be, man. Uh, and that's the reason I, I sat down and I wrote a book um, was to be able to say, I, I like where I'm at. These are things that happen to me. These are funny things that happen to me. You know, these are tragic things that happen when my uncle Randy at Talladega getting killed. And these are things that happen, but they happen in everybody's life. 
I'm, I'm not, I'm, it's not a special, Cal Petty's not a special person. It's not, there, there's, there's dark days in every life and there's bright days in every life. And it's what you make of the days in between. Uh, and, and I've been very, very blessed to be able to, to use racing as a platform to do other things. To, I'm back playing music again. You got Victory Junction as a camp. You write a book, Swerve or Die. You get to be on TV. None of that would have ever happened uh, if at 18 years old, my dad had never given me an opportunity to set in a race car. Um, and then if I hadn't driven that race car and been able to parlay that into, you know, a job for the next 30 years, um, whether, whether you were successful or not, I had a job and that's kind of the way I looked at it. And, um, and I've been very, very blessed to race against you and Kenny and Rusty to race against David Pearson and Richard Petty and Bobby Allison to race against Dale senior and Mark and Terry and Bobby Labonte to race against Jeff Gordon, to race against Jimmy Johnson. I, it's, it's crazy, man. When I, when I think about your, my career, I think, man, I have raced in, in almost ever era, every era uh, uh, for the last 30 or 40 years, it feels like, against the greatest drivers in the world. Um, and, and I tell people, you might not know my name, but they know my name. You know what I mean? They knew who I was, uh, and they knew I was there. They probably cussed me a lot of times because they're trying to laugh me and they couldn't get around me. But but it's it's nice to know that that in that circle that that's your peers, man. And and fans can think what they want and fans can have opinions. Uh, but when it 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 matters what your peers think. If they think you were a pretty decent race car driver, if they think you were a good person, or they think you were a good mechanic or a good crew chief, that means a lot, man. That that, that means a lot. I think it means more the older you get. So. I am happy with where I'm at, man. Well, the one great thing you you know there, Kyle Petty, is that everything you just mentioned is true, meaning everybody likes you, everybody respects you. Uh, You're humorous. You entertain fans. You were a great race car driver. Uh, Through the loss of Adam, you know, unfortunately, you and I have two common things, and we lost both lost children. So, and a lot of people don't realize, and I'm kind of glad you're telling the story. It's it's the most difficult thing in the world you can deal with, no matter what anybody yeah. says. All the other things, but man, the the world loves Kyle Petty. I really do. You every Sunday or Saturday, you come on television now and the NBC stuff. You tell good stories. I want to back up to a story that happened a couple of years ago. It shocked the heck out of me. I was uh, out one <laughs> night, my wife and I. I was with Doug, Mimi Sabata, our Doug Herbert, and, and Mimi. And they says, hey, come on, hop on the train with us. We're downtown Charlotte. Let's go up to the Noda area and listen to some music. And they knew where we're going, but they didn't tell us. So we roll in. Jeff Kent, you'll love this because, you know, Noda area here in Charlotte used to be Very a dump. Very trendy. Yeah. Well, it's trendy now, but it used to be like the worst place in the world, right. you know, or when I moved down here. We <laughs> show up, and all of a sudden I'm at the door of this little bar scene in Noda, and it's like, I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> Holy shit, that guy used to be on Kyle Petty's team. So I'll put all this together, we walk in, and who's on stage is Kyle Petty. <laughs> After, back in the music day, Kyle's entertaining people a few years ago on a right. Friday or Saturday night. That was fun. Yep. Tell us, how, how do you do that? Or do you do that a lot now? Or just, nope. was that yep, a one-off thing? Nope. Listen, uh, you, were, you were there when I was just getting started again. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I was trying to get my sea leg. And, and it's so funny. I met uh, a guy named Dolph Ramsour, who is the, the manager uh, and, and, and the a- agent for the Avett brothers. And he was a huge David Pearson Wood Brothers fan. 
And we got to talking one night. I just met him. And we got to talking, and we just stayed in touch, became friends. And one day, Morgan, I was playing a bunch of songs, and Morgan said, you need to get somebody to listen to some of your songs. So I said, I know the perfect guy. I'll call Dolph. So Dolph set me up with, uh, with a guy named David Childers. And David and I go out and play. And not so much the last couple of years through the pandemic. Obviously, all that stuff shot, shut down. But, man, for, for a couple of years there, we were grinding and doing it, uh, playing local bars, playing – over towards Raleigh, down in Greenville, South Carolina. And you know what? We're, we're still doing it. I've played five or six shows this year. Uh, i got two or three shows coming up. I probably do it 10 or 15 times a year, which is, which is fun. It's just enough to keep it interesting, just enough to keep me going. Um, but it, it, it is a lot of fun, man. So I thank you for coming, man. That is, that is good. I'm, I, I appreciate that. That was a, that was a lot of fun that night. I had fun over there. That was at the Evening Muse, and I had a lot of fun that night. Yeah, we enjoyed it. I, and you are quite talented, I, man, I tell you. Not just a race car driver and entertainer. But uh, let's take the last couple minutes. Tell us about your book. I mean, that that yeah. thing is making rounds everywhere. I mean, I'm hearing about it everywhere I yeah. go. So, number one, tell us a little bit about it and tell people where they can find it at, how they get it. Yeah. So, what I did, when you know, like everybody else, when the pandemic struck, um, you didn't have anything, couldn't go anywhere. My, Morgan was pregnant with, with cotton. So we were very concerned about what COVID did, uh, to, to women that were pregnant at that time. Nobody really knew. So we, we kind of hunkered down here at the house and more people already said, I got, I got so many stories. It's, it's like your brother, Kenny, you can just go from one story to another story, to another story, to another. And people had always said, write them down, write them down. So I started writing stuff down and Morgan read it and she said, let's get somebody to help you. So uh, we, we contacted the guy that, that looked after, that helped Michael Waltrip write his book, uh, Ellis Hennigan, and sent him some stuff, and he sent some stuff back, and we just kept going back and forth, and uh, we came up with it. You know, and, and, and it started just as a collection of stories uh, about racing, on how I started, things that happened to me along the way, you know, good things, bad things. Uh, but then as Ellis got involved, it, it began to evolve around my granddad and my dad, how they come along, how it was a family business, just as, as you grew up in, and, and then Adam, and then Adam's accident. So that's it, that's kind of the, the theme is, is four generations that weave through it. And um, it was, listen, it was it was hard to write. It was hard to write the part about Adam. And, and you know, I, I think of you often because it is it is the, the hardest thing. You cannot explain to someone what it's like to lose a child. Uh, and no, no matter, there's not words. God, God doesn't give you words for that. So to write was so painful. And then we did the audio book. So to read it was even more painful. It felt like, honestly, uh, that was tough, but it has just been, it has been very therapeutic. I, I went back and, and was able to, to revisit some things that I hadn't, that I hadn't opened that box on and dealt with things that happened with Adam. And, and during that time that, you know, I just didn't want to look at, I didn't, didn't want to see. I uh, didn't want to remember, uh, so I was able to go back and do some of that, and that helped. And you know, it's it's been a lot of fun. It, it it's been fun meeting fans. It's been fun listening to people that have read it, uh, and the comments that they've had. That that part has been good. I, I'll tell you this, Mike. Mark Martin sent me a sent me a text after he read it, um, and and I told I told Morgan I said, you know, Mark Martin read my book, and his context and his kind words mean everything in the world to me i don't i don't i don't care if anybody else reads it i don't care if it goes anywhere or sells another copy i've been to the top of the mountain because mark martin read my book and 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 it was just it was an honor 
to have people read it. And, you know, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, Amazon. You can get it online anywhere they sell books. Just call and ask them uh, if it's a local bookseller. Uh, they, they have it everywhere. Uh, you can get um, the Audible book. Is, uh, the audio book's on Audible. Uh, it's on iTunes. Anywhere that you can buy Audible books, uh, you, you can get it. Go to my website, which is just kylepetty.com, and it lists where you can get everything. But thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it because it's just been – it has been a fun, to re, fun way to reconnect with fans and, and to talk to people and give me something to talk about again. And, um, you know, I think we all – like that moment when when people know your name again, and this has given me that opportunity. There you go. I think Jeff Kent said it. We're relevant or being relevant again. Once right? again, you're relevant. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, those are That's great. It. Those are great stories, and, and and the book is is a must read. And and I know you're a busy boy doing a bunch of book signings and things of that nature. They can probably hit your website, calpetty.com. Am I correct? And uh, see, yeah, for sure. See the for schedule sure. when you're going to be near when you're going to be near them. I know you're busy down in Daytona uh, this coming yep. week. So. For well, sure. Well, Kyle Petty, to you and your family, hope the family's doing wonderful, which sounds like they are. You take care. We appreciate you coming on and hopefully have you back on sometime to, because uh, we jammed your life into a short time. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Wallace, thank you very, very much. You are really, really good at this, man. You are really, really good. You've got something going here, man. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation, dude. Really. We'll take that thank as a compliment you. and we'll run. Get yes. the hell out of here. Kyle Petty, yeah. you've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.